Thank you, Dave. Good morning. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, this morning. I'm sharing from a, a book I've just published uh, entitled uh, Turning from God to Diviners and Fortune Tellers. Now, I'm not telling you to turn from God to, be, to Diviners and Fortune Tellers. I'm just telling you that it's happening in South Africa, that a lot of people are turning in droves from God to Diviners and Fortune Tellers. And unfortunately, as a church, we're not well equipped in how to address the issue and I'm also encountering Christians as well who are going back to indigenous belief systems and African spirituality. So I wanted to address this matter, and this book deals with that. Uh, even politicians, some of you may have heard of children in schools as well who are being called to become Sangomas and traditional healers, and all kinds of things are happening. We are not supposed to keep quiet at a time like this as a church. God expects of us to speak up and to be the light. But some of you may actually say, wow, how do I speak? What do I say? Because culturally, perhaps that may be something that is a bit foreign to you and you might feel ill-equipped to address it. So I want to just give you some tools, hopefully able to use them wherever you go. So one of the things you're going to face on this issue is one of the pushbacks you're going to face is the old issue of race. Um, you know that people like to politicize everything, including issues of religion. So if you're white, people will tell you you have no right to speak into it. It's because it belongs to a certain tribe, it belongs to a certain race. I'm going to demystify that myth this morning, explain to you that why, why this matters and needs to be addressed urgently as a church, it's because it's got nothing to do with race. First, let's do a bit of a history here. Let's just check if you people have read the Bible. Now, Egypt is in Africa, correct? Still is, right? It's been, it's, it's not moved, right? It's still existing. Thank you very much. So, so there's a nation and a country called Egypt, which is in Africa. And in this nation, the people of Israel were slaves for 430 years, correct? And God sends Moses to come and deliver them out of the land of Egypt to the promised land, which is somewhere in the Middle East, out of Africa. And so as they are moving out from Africa, Egypt to the uh, promised land, Canaan, they have a meeting with God on Mount Sinai. And on this meeting, very big meeting, so big that God is chairing the meeting, and uh, the meeting is so consequential, the mountain shakes, there's earthquake, and it's a whole big deal. And God speaks to the people of Israel and proposes to them a covenant. And the people of Israel agree to be in covenant with God. And when they agree to be in covenant with God, Moses relays the message down below and they agree, and then he goes back to God and gives them the feedback. And when they agree to be in covenant with God, God then gives them the law. The sequence is important. It's first the covenant, then the law. So that's very important. Now, the law is, uh, is made to be terms and conditions of the covenant. So the law is not arbitrary. The law is an instrument that is supposed to work in tandem with the covenant. In other words, if somebody is cheating on their spouse and they want to justify this habit, even though you correct them, you may need to step back from dealing with the behavior but reminding them what the covenant is because their behavior is a result of not knowing what the covenant they've entered into means. So one of the things that God does in the covenant, in the law that comes with it, is to give specific instructions on how to relate with him as God. And he speaks to them in a way they understand the exclusivity of this covenant they have with him. 
and he prohibits them from doing certain things that were done by those who are outside of the covenant with God. He says to them, you shall not do as these nations are doing. Okay? So he means that the covenant with God is exclusive. It's between him and the people of Israel. And one of the things that the covenant does is to prohibit all forms of idolatry and all forms of what God calls abominations. Deuteronomy 18, for instance, verse 9 to verse 12, Moses is writing the people of Israel and says to them, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not land to follow the abominations of those nations. Now, he's not speaking of African nations. They just came out of Africa. So he couldn't have. If he had wanted to talk to them about African practices, he would have said, do not learn to do the abominations of the nations you are coming from. But he's warning them of the practices of the nations they are going to. The seven nations are in the land of Canaan, which were doing abominations. And he says, none of you shall make your son or daughter pass over the fire or practice divination or consult the dead or whatever. All the things are mentioned. And all who do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And it's because of these abominations he drives these nations out from before you. He's not speaking of African nations, which means the practices that are cited there, including necromancy, um, consulting of stars. Like people hear to me, they tell me that their star sign is Libra or Capricorn. I said to me, you're confused. You are not Libra, you're not Capricorn. Your future is not written somewhere in the back of a magazine. It's written in God's word. Stop looking for the back of some prognosis somewhere. God says that's not, it's an abomination before God. To think of yourself as a Libra or a Capricorn. You are a child of God. The constellation of the stars don't have your future. God's word does. So, which means these practices were existing way before our cultures were formed in the, in the shape in which they are. So, divination, therefore, for instance, therefore existed thousands of years in the land of Canaan. And only been part of African culture only for hundreds of years. So, the this is key to explain to the person that the practice is older than its, its inclusion in African culture. So that there's no confusion. That's why it's done universally as well. There's different forms of divination. There's divination by palm reading, there's divination by tea leaves, uh, by all kinds of practices. As people think because they know one type of divination, the throwing of bones, then they own the practice. It's not an African invention, it's an African adoption. It's done all over the world. Right, And it's prohibited by God for what it is, not for who is doing it. Get that. It's prohibited for what it is, not for who is doing it. In other words, it didn't matter who was doing it, it remains prohibited because it's wrong before God. Now, I was in Johannesburg one year, and there was a conference by a man called Jonathan Edwards, who's a psychic, who was crossing over. Emperor's palace was packed with white people, not black people, who are looking to talk to their uh, relatives. <laughs> and Jonathan Edwards went there, and they, they charged them over 300 and something rent a person, a pop, and then they were talking to, and he says, I see a person with a red jersey. Oh, yes, that's auntie. Yes, you love the red jersey. That's not auntie, you silly. It's a familiar spirit. <laughs> we can't talk to dead people. Why? Because they are dead. You now need a young person to say, like, duh. <laughs> they're dead. You can't talk dead because they're dead. 
So one of the things that I do to help people along this, on this issue is that I went to funerals. I've done funerals where people left during my sermon. <laughs> and I realize I'm preaching very well when that happens. <laughs> Why would they live? Why would they live? I go to Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to verse 31, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? That, that parable, I go there. So there, Jesus speaks about the rich man whose name is not mentioned because his lifestyle is the focus, not his identity. So he dies and he goes to hell and Lazarus dies and goes to Abraham's bosom, right? So there's a departure when a person dies. People don't die and hang around. That's an oxymoron. You can't depart and be president. It's a, it's a contradiction. So, you, you know, you're gone. You can't be here and be gone. Which one is it? Are you here or are you gone? So the rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to Abraham, bosom. And when people listen to that part of the sermon, they love it. Everybody dies. Yes, Pastor Tom. The rich also, they die. Yeah, the poor also, everyone dies. Yes, death is a great equalizer. Yes. Uh, except uh, in that story, something happens. The rich man goes somewhere, and Lazarus goes somewhere. So they don't go to the same place. So we demystify the whole issue of afterlife being some confusion where people don't know where they go. Or we go somewhere in a waiting place, and I see you there, and you're standing next to me and say, are you going? I'm not sure. And you? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'm coming. No, there's no, there's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty. We are in the way. We are not going to the way. We are in the way. So there's, there's, there's certainty here that when we depart this place, we go to heaven. There's no place of maybe, maybe, maybe not. It's not a maybe. It's a certainty. It's an assurance of our salvation. Right? And so now the, the rich man is, is, in, is in hell, and the first thing he does is to speak to Abraham. Father Abraham, would you please send Lazarus to dip his finger in my tongue? I'm in, I'm in torment here. He's still sending people. I'm thinking to myself, the guy has been so used to sending people when he was alive and he's dead. He's still going around sending people back and forth on errands. I said, what do you think you are? Who's supposed to go and fetch you some water? You're supposed to have made preparation for you while you were still alive. Now, the thing about the rich man is this. He's complaining and he's thirsty. So I tell people that if your grandma or grandfather is talking to you in the night in a dream and is complaining of something... I think I know where they are. It is not a good place. So they didn't make it to heaven, and therefore they cannot be your ancestor because the whole point of mediation between them and God doesn't work because they're not with God to begin with. So, in other words, you cannot be in heaven and be uncomfortable. There's a major theological issue there. The Bible says, this is the woman in John chapter 4. If you drink of this water, you shall thirst, but if you drink of this water, you shall never thirst again forever. A person can't be in heaven and be thirsty because the water of life is there. You can't be in heaven and be hungry because the bread of life is there. So if God makes a bad job of heaven where people are in heaven and they need us to help them to be comfortable, how do we trust them to sort out life yet? So it's a major theoretical implication, the idea of people who are dead who are complaining to us to help them. It's like God is there. They do something. They are there. They are cold. Do something. If you can't do it there, how do we trust you to do it here? Has major implications. Jesus says about faith that if the Father can clothe these, these, these lilies of the valley, they are here and they are burnt tomorrow, how much more will you clothe you of little faith? So these, these belief systems have major uh, theological implications and they also deal with the character and the nature of God. So you'd realize that people, when they want to believe certain things, they either have to change the nature of God and make God after themselves. We call it theology from beneath 
rationalization of theology. So they have to change God's nature to suit their belief system. We don't, we don't make God after our kind. He makes us after his kind. We become like him. He doesn't become like us. It's a major, major issue. Right? So therefore, my point is this. This has got nothing to do with race. Now, let's deal with the issue of a person says, do you don't understand? David understand? This is because we are Zulus and we do these things and all that. Let's deal with the second point here. There is no ethnic-based spiritual path. There is no path that is based on one's ethnicity. God has not created an ethnic-based spiritual path. Such a path is an admission by the person that the ancestors have deviated from God's path. Because God never relates to people on the basis of ethnicity. He relates to people on the basis of his word. I was one day in Pretoria in a conference. The theme is decolonizing the faith. I was a speaker. So this African gentleman walks up to me and tells me, we Africaners have a covenant with God. I says, no, you don't. He says, no, our forefathers came here. I said, yes, stop confused. I said, stop being confused here. You have no covenant with God. We all come to Jesus in the same way. There's two people that exist in the, according to God. It's Jews and Gentiles. And you and I are both Gentiles. You think you're a better Gentile than me. You are confused. <laughs> you are in the same position like me. There's no special place we have because there's no place for Africaners in heaven. Africaners this side, Corsas this side, Zulus here. As a result, I tell people, if you have a problem with worshiping with people of different racial groups, ethnic groups, uh, Zulus or Malawians and Zimbabweans, don't go to heaven. <laughs> That's my advice. Don't go to heaven. Heaven for you will be an eternal nightmare. You sit there, Chinese, yes, they are there. It's not your heaven. Oh, there are so many of them. Of course, because it's God's heaven. What do you expect? <laughs> you know, so, so here we're having a trial run here. We are here to test this thing out. Get used to it here. You won't make it up there. You better get used to it here. <laughs> right? So, therefore, whenever people start using race as, as, as an habit, as, as, as a way to determine the biblical truth, divine truth, you know they're deviating from God's path. Okay, so race is a man-made idea. In fact, it's a few hundred years old. The whole issue of racial distinctions and ethnicity and focusing on race as a, as, as a source of one's identity is man-made. That's why God never refer, refers to people as black or white. We refer to each other like that. So those are social political terms. They're man-made terms to serve a political purpose. So what people need to do to me is to have me buy into the idea that I'm primarily a black person. When I've bought the idea that my identity is primarily black, it means that I have to then be obligated to submit to the conditions that determine blackness. So they first have to make me buy the label, and therefore I must buy what comes with the label. So if I'm primarily black, Dave is primarily white, the other rather than the brother. So you can't therefore serve God fully while still bound by ethnicity. Because Paul says, henceforth, Henceforth, from that point on, we refer to, refer to, from henceforth, we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's no ethnic-based spiritual path unless where people are referring to a deviation. Now let's clarify something. There are children today who are being tormented by ancestral spirits. 
real torment. Those of you who are, med who are, who are medical doctors, you'll have from sometimes patients presenting themselves with certain symptoms when they come to hospital to see you, symptoms that appear to be medically certain symptoms, but there's no way of treating them, like psychotics or schizophrenia or certain things like that. But the person has no history of that, and you can't treat it. But those are the things that they present themselves with. People are tormented, sleeplessness, um, headaches, all kinds of things, and sicknesses. <clears throat> because the Spirit is supposedly saying to the person, unless you agree to do what we demand of you, we will do this. Now, I, I ask people, I'm logical. I like to apply logic to some of these things. So I say, like, so here's you are with a grandmother who has loved you all her life. And then she dies at the age of 80. And then when she's dead, she wants to speak. She spoke for eight years. She's now dead. She still wants to speak. And you must be the spokesperson. If not, grandma will kill you. That's supposed to be logic. She's loved you all her life. Spoken for eight years, she's dead, she still needs to speak, and you're the spokesperson. If you disagree, she'll kill you. This is supposed to make sense. I'm like, what? Now I ask people, maybe Dave can help me here. Why do you white people, uh, sorry to use the term, um, for its purpose of illustration, why do your ancestors not bother you? <laughs> what are they? What do you do to them? Even you just better than them, it's finished. <laughs> you don't come back and say, they come back to you, and you are like, you move on. You better, some of you even burn the people up. <laughs> you will never burn people up in South Africa. You burn them. You burn them. It will be the, it will be the most um, shocking thing ever. People will know that you've cremated your relative. It, you'll be, you'll, you will not live to, to rest. You will talk about it. He burned them, finished. You, you will have to explain forever. You banned your father. How can you do it? You, you, you will be talking about him for years. You've banned him. See, see in South Africa, uh, that's why, that's why, you see, you see Van Staden's bridge. You didn't have black people um, killing themselves now. Okay? Because we like to look good, <laughs> even in the coffin. <laughs> so you people going there, splashing your brains out 100 meters down. Mm -mm. We want to die properly. Play, blowing our brains out, that's not part of our culture. But we want to look good, even in the coffin. So that's why when a person is buried, we put them on a suit. We do everything to make sure the person rests. We put them on a suit. We buy them a nice coffin. And we have a long service. We eulogize him. We sing. We do everything. Then they don't rest. <laughs> After all that effort, they are back. <laughs> I'm like, we have made everything possible. We don't speak ill of the dead. We made everything possible to make sure you rest. But you are back. <laughs> and you are angry. Because that's all the ancestors ever were. They are always angry. Never at peace. They've got mood problems. So ancestors are angry. I'm like, why? What have I done? Just because they're just angry. There's no reason. So people believe these things, and they therefore base their lives on what we call fatalism. 
The idea that your life is depending on some spirits, which takes away your individual agency, agency to sort your life out. It takes away your industrialness or your ability to, because now you're depending on something. So you're waiting on something to come and rescue you, which means spirits or spirit initiatives like entrepreneurship and industrialness, they become very limited in Africa because of that belief system of HLS. Which, so you can see the impact it has on the worldview and, and the nation's development itself. KZN had a problem of, of land, land shortage. And they suggested that people bury their loved ones um, uh, straight. And the people of KZN said, no, that won't happen. But he won't rest. He must sleep. Then they said, second point, let's try and bury grandma and grandma in the same grave so that we, 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 we can sort of save on land. He says, no. I don't want to go to the grave to talk to grandma and actually I'm talking to grandma. And then there's a confusion. <laughs> then they said, let's, let's bend them up. Let's Yo, yo, yo. Now that one is out of the question. You will not win with that one. So I asked people, okay, guys, because land is a finite resource. It's not infinite. So which one do we want, houses or graves? At some point, we have to make the choice. We're going to have to build graves or build houses. We can't have both. Because land is a finite resource. So what has happened is this. We haven't really done a good job in teaching people what death is all about, what happens if we die. And so people therefore think that when they die, they go to some place where they come back and they... I mean, people even talk about this thing that my grandmother is, a, is my guardian angel. So my question is, what happened to the angel that was guarding you before grandma died? Is it in, are they in retirement now? Twiddling their thumbs. Oh, no, grandma is taken over now. So we have nothing to do for eternity. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. He has given his angels charge over us. One day I was having a, a, a trip, uh, taking, giving a lift to a student um, going to Rhodes University, Gramstown. So we had almost an accident. The car almost ran us off the road. So this lady screamed in my car. The ancestors protested us in my car. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to let it go. <laughs> no way. I said, really? They jumped out from where? He said, I put you know. I said, I don't know, actually. First of all, which set of ancestors? Because there's no corporate ancestors. Yours or mine? Because there's no, people don't, don't think through these things. They just, so when you now begin to question and probe in, they're like, huh? I said, I can tell you of angels who travel in the speed of light who protect me wherever I go. Tell me of your ancestors. So when we, now some of the stuff we do as well as Christians has to be corrected. We trivialize something like angels by drawing angels as cupido with clouds, with the baby floating on the cloud, which means we never quite understand what angels are. And we trivialize God's power, and therefore we don't understand what we actually have around us. One angel, one angel. When the king Sennacherib of the Assyrians boasted against Israelites for days and days and days, we'll kill you and your gods, like we've done other nations and its gods. Hezekiah went to the temple to pray and ask God's help, and God says, don't worry, nothing will happen to you. And God sent one angel. And 185,000 Assyrians were dead the following day. One angel. One angel. 185,000 people were dead. One angel. He says he has given his angels charge over you. 
to keep you in all your ways. A thousand shall fall by your side and ten thousand by your right hand, but no evil shall come nigh unto you. Neither shall any plague come your dwelling, because you have made the Lord your refuge, even the most high your habitation. That's the power of angels. They travel in the spirit, they appear and disappear in a split second. They can go through walls. When they were given an instruction, they don't turn back until God says, come back. They go straight one way and finish what God says they must do. The angel of death went to Egypt. He was not making a mistake of killing secondborn. Precision, accuracy, and clear direction. Only firstborn, man and beast. One evening. Swift power. And that's what we are given. Heirs of salvation. For nothing we have done, but for simply believing in Christ. Now when we step away from believing in Christ and believe other things, we, we therefore will see, we show how much we don't quite understand what we possess. Now what happens when we have a situation we can't resolve? What happens when you pray to God and it doesn't help you or it doesn't answer your prayer? What happens when God doesn't give you the stuff you want? Is God on terms with you? Is he on terms? Do this all. Is he on terms? Because Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego understood something about God. That there's a God in heaven, O king, who's able to deliver us from your fire. But even if he doesn't deliver us from your fire yet, nonetheless, we shall not bow down to you. There was no terms around it. There was certainty that there's no plan B for us. There's only plan A. Plan A is God, and plan B is also God. There's no other plan. So we're not here and giving you five minutes to show up or we go somewhere else. We are here completely for you. So what happens is this, with this kind of things, you get to a place of desperation. People get to a place of desperation. I was, I was in case and Deb and minister, and this man came to me and says, uh, Pastor Africa, I actually went, my daughter was sick, and I took her to a pastor to pray for, and he didn't get help, she didn't get help, and I took her to a Sangoma, and now she's needs help. What do you say to that? <laughs> I said to him, the devil did you one. What do you mean did you one? He gave you a miracle, but there's no free lunch. He's coming back. Oh, yes. We have to appreciate that the devil can do people some things. But the Bible says in Matthew 28, 11 to 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? So there is some power people can get by serving the devil. There's some power people can get by being involved in idolatry and, and, and new age and, and all that, and Illuminati and all that. There's some power people can get from these things. And kind of wealthy, but you find that that kind of uh, power has backlash that is massive. Especially after the person has died for their families. So people are dealing with transgenerational issues. Covenants are multi-generational. So those who are connected to that person suffer the consequences of that person's disobedience. That's why it says when Abraham paid tithes, Levi paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. Though Levi was born four generations after Abraham, but he seemed to have been represented in Abraham when Abraham paid tithes. So that's the power of covenants. You remember the story of David and Jonathan and Mephibosheth. Is there no one left in the household of Saul to whom I can show me for the sake of Jonathan? That's covenants. So God says in, 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 in the Exodus 20 that he visits the iniquity of the fathers, the third and fourth generation, of those who hate me. That's a condition. But he shows mercy up to a thousand generations of those who love him. Thousand generation of those who love him. Four generations of hatred, thousand generations of those who love him. That's a massive difference. So 
Why I'm bringing this to you is that our nation has gone back from God. And I tell you, there's not, it's not inconsequential what is happening here. But this is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The opposite is also true. Curse is the nation whose God is not the Lord. So we can't be praying for rain while we're serving other gods. Praying to which God? The Bible says rain comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from above, not from the east or from the west. But it comes from above. So you also, as a child of God, need to make sure you clean up your house. Do spring cleaning. God doesn't like sharing. You can't buy a house, for instance, and the person who used to own the house insists on staying. There will be a problem, right? I also want to stay. No, I bought the house. <laughs> so let's say for me, my ancestors used to have a right over me. Let's just use the hypothesis. Because my grandfather, father, was a Sangoma, a famed medium. Higher ranking. There's, rank, there's ranks. My grandfather ranked very high. The guy had power. Uh, so, so much that he would cause lightning. I know it sounds like a hyperbole. Not hyperbole. <laughs> he could actually manipulate nature, this guy. But he died. And my family lived under this cloud of who's next. The mantle was hovering around. Then I showed up. <laughs> Jesus showed up. <laughs> Jesus showed up and decided, You're mine. I'm going to use you. And so, what I'm standing right now, um, <laughs> how do I put this to you? I've broken hundreds of years of history in one generation. If any person who's in Klope could arise from the dead, they would not recognize me. I don't look like them, like radically. Hundreds of years of history is broken in one generation. I'm totally different. Irrecognizable. Married, having children, all these things you take for granted are new for us. Having children in marriage is new. Married for as long as I am is new. To one wife is new. Not being in jail is new. Not dying young is new. We're traveling overseas, writing books, having television programs. I mean, first, 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 first of many things because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of saying yes to his call. But it comes at a cost. Don't think it's easy. I stand there and someone says, he's a coconut. <laughs> That's what I have to pay. White people have bought him. He's in a, in, a, in a pocket of white people. He's a stooge of white people. He's taking white men's religion. That's the price to pay for the master. But it's a price I'm prepared to pay. He's worth it. See, he's worth it. He is worth all of it. So if in your life there's some issues that need to be attended to, it may not be of this nature. They was correct. You may feel, oh, this one is not mine. I'm clean of this one. God knows which one you're not clean of. <laughs> he knows this. He's in your house. He's in your life. Do some spring cleaning. Make sure you can speak like Jesus. The, 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 the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing on me. And when the devil is moving, he can't hold anything with you. 
because you're clean of the stuff that you can hold in your life. Disobedience, rebellion, idolatry, uncertain spiritual paths. People have statues, have things that they think are holy in their houses, places and statues and, and forms and figures and figurines and all kinds of funny things. Or the thing they eat Holy Communion, something happens, it, 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 it becomes transpiration, Jesus is there, the blood of Jesus, literal blood. They begin to at attach certain uh, things to, in things, not to the person of the thing. So as we, as we bring this to a close, I want you to know our nation is in trouble. But you know what's happening about this nation is that if you were to ask God to bring revival or to save this nation, or Lord, there's crime, Lord, there's, there's corruption. You know what God will say to you, I suspect? He will say, that's why I have you there. Lord, there's crime. God says, yes, I know. That's why I have you there. I trust you. That's why you are there. You are here for such a time like this. There's no problem you can present to God in which the solution doesn't involve you. Lord, send us help. Yes, I've sent it. It's called you. <laughs> it's called my church. We are the solution. We are the help and the hope we've been waiting for. All of us here have a responsibility. And of course, we failed primarily in the area of discipleship as a church. And now we must admit, we built a church and hoped Jesus would do discipleship. It's supposed to be the other way around. We haven't done discipleship. For me to meet Christians who are turning to these things is to show that, oh, okay, over evangelism, no discipleship. Converts, converts, no disciples. Because once you become a real disciple of Jesus, there's no way you can turn to other things. So I want us to pray uh, for South Africa. And, um, but also, if anybody... In your life, you have, you know, you do stuff. You do stuff, you engage in stuff because you're not sure of the Holy Spirit, you're not sure of God's power. We also want to pray for you because you must understand that God is Jehovah Olam, Elohei Olam, the, the jealous God. God is not very good in sharing. I'm telling you that. It's not, it's not a share scheme with God. It's total ownership. We've been bought with a price. I was saying, if the ancestors had a hold over me, they think they're right over me, even if they did, even if there was a right or whatever, their right was relinquished when Jesus came and bought me. Even if it was so-called, we owned me, they owned me, the ownership exchanged hands when Christ came and bought me. And I belong to him now. I must glorify God in my body in which I his. So the right was relinquished a long time ago when Christ came and paid the price. So I don't belong to Jesus just because it's a belief system. I belong to Jesus because he actually paid a price of total ownership. So he actually exchanged me with his blood. So I belong to him 100% because the price was paid to own me 100%. So what, in other words, when you're talking to God in prayer or, you give, or you've got devotions at 12 in the midnight or 6 in the morning, it's not like, God, I give you the 30 minutes, otherwise I'll be busy now, otherwise we can go. No, God owns 100% of you. Even if the devotion is for you to quiet your spirit before God, it's not that God owns the 30 minutes. He owns 24, 24 hours of your life. If you think he owns 30 minutes, it's because you're being rebellious. 
He owns all of you. You just keep giving 30 minutes to quiet your spirit to listen to him. Not that he belongs to 30 minutes of your life. He belongs to all of you. So your quiet time is to quiet you to hear him. That's not where God belongs. He belongs to all of you. Let's not, let's not get confused here. We are owned 100% by the king. Let's stand together and pray. So Dave, can you come? I want us to pray for South Africa. Guys, I'm serious about this. Um, elections are coming. And I tell you, stuff. These guys will lead this nation when it's election contestation and power contestation, they draw from serious covenants of darkness. Because that's what they depend on. But the Bible is after righteousness. Sin is a reproach to every people. We pray for this nation. We are South Africans. We are placed by God in this nation for a reason. And these guys, when it's, when it's come now, and most of them, almost all of them, they go to deep, deep covenants. But also, people in the church today, maybe you don't understand this, there's church leaders who are consulting to grow churches, who are using water spirits to grow churches. So this thing is also penetrating the church. That's why there's false prophets. Because these false prophets are not false because of doctrine. They're false because of spirits that they draw from. You can make a doctrinal mistake and somebody can correct you. When you love Jesus, you'll be correctable. But when you walk in the spirits and dark covenants, no one can correct you. Because you are loyal more to those covenants than you are to God. You are beyond correction. So these guys have done these things because they're after power. Maybe they're after power because we have not shown power as well. We have been academic and clinical as churches. It's time for us to show that the real power resides with us. There is power, and we believe in the supernatural. We are not anti-supernatural still. We believe in the supernatural. But we believe it's clean. We believe it's free. We believe there's no hangover. There's no price to pay. There's no manipulation. There's no regret. There's joy with it. And it's free. And everybody benefits. There's no superman. There's no exclusive club. It's for everyone at all times, anywhere. Because the owner of it is always with us. He doesn't come and show off what he can do. He's a father, not a showman. When he heals, it's to show that he loves, not because it's to show that he's got power. He knows he's got power. He's not insecure. But false prophets are insecure. They want to show that I can prophesy. True prophets want to show people how to hear the voice of God for themselves. Because they want to grow people to hear God, not to hear them. So even us as a church, charismatic church, we have been also confused a bit by looking at people God is using, not the God who's using them. And that's why they're able to use us in this way. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise this morning. You are our daddy. You are our God. This nation belongs to you. You have created it, founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the waters. It is your nation, for the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of the world and everything therein. We pray for this land of South Africa. We lift it up before God, a place that you have called a Beulah place, a place of light as a shining beacon for the continent of Africa. Therefore, Father, we listen and we hear reports and news and, and wickedness in places and, and all the violence. And we know that these are evil covenants. People are having an experience for rejecting you. It is not you who have rejected us. It is us who have rejected you. You have not turned your back on us. We have turned our backs on you. And now we repent. We ask for your forgiveness and your mercy 
as a city, O oh God, of, of Paul Elizabeth. We ask that you would restore this nation. We pray for our city fathers. Pray for those who lead us, O oh God, that there will be a cry for God. There will be a hunger for God. There will be a desire for your presence. That people would kneel and come and, and confess their sins before God. That they would desire nothing else but you, O oh God. We ask for your mercy upon this land, O oh God. We pray that those who are busy, O oh God, with the spirits and, and false spirits, wicked spirits, that they will repent of their sins. They will turn to the living God. Have, have mercy, Father. We pray for schools, our kids, in especially public schools, oh God, that are allowed to, to be in, involved in these kinds of things, destroying their future, oh God, supp suppressing their destinies. Father, won't you arise and have mercy upon this land, oh God, and our educators who are completely overwhelmed by the struggles that they're facing, pressures to conform and because of the political pressure they face. Oh God, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace, oh God. We ask for your mercy that you forgive us, cleanse us, purify us, make us clean once again. Raise a true church that is washing the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray for the pulpit to be purified once again. And you raise sons, oh God, who love the Father, not love the ministry of God, but who love his presence, who love his bride, who love his word, that you will purify, oh God, and you bring again a fresh, fresh release of your presence in us and through us, oh God. It's all about you, Jesus. We, it's all about you. The glory belongs to you. You died on the cross to redeem mankind. And we thank you for your mercy and grace upon this land. Oh God, thank you for your fresh anointing and upon each and every one of us this morning. Your presence, we can sense, is so thick in this place. We, are, we thank you. We all receive. We all just celebrate your presence. We just, we, we just embrace and we take in, oh God, your presence to empower us for the week ahead, to empower us for ministry, for witness, for you in this land. We give you praise. We bless you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Say yes, Lord. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you. I just feel like we want to, we want to take it a step further and just pray for those who now need to exercise spiritual warfare as a whistleblower on unrighteousness, things that are in our cultures and in our daily life, in our national life, uh, in your personal work life situation, wherever you are, that you know is counter to the righteousness of God. And, and you, God is calling you to be light and salt, to be a whistleblower. Uh, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for courage, pray for accuracy, pray for discernment. If you need to blow the whistle on some aspect of culture, some aspect of life that you encounter that is, uh, is grievous to God, I want you to raise your hand for us right now. We're going to pray for you. Wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you study, you're aware of things that are in the culture surrounding you that uh, grieve God's heart. Some of you, some of us here today are, are being called of God to be whistleblowers in the area of sexual confusion. There's such a focus on the LGBTQ and, and, uh, and anybody opposes that is considered uh, homophobic, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's a lie from, from the pit of hell. We need to be whistleblowers on, on this crazy agenda. If that's you, well, just raise your hand. We're going to pray. So, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. Settle on every single person whose hand is raised towards you right now, being willing to be a whistleblower, willing to stand for truth and righteousness and the restoration of broken humanity. Lord, would you come? Would you come and give courage, give discernment, 
give accurate application of truth. We pray that they would find that you've gone before them. And it's not going to be as hard as, as we anticipate from a natural point of view because you're this, the, the God of the impossible and you penetrate into the darkness. Your light breaks the darkness. So bless them with confidence. Bless us, Lord, those who need to stand up for truth. Bless, bless uh, with an outpouring of fresh confidence that God who calls us is also able to equip us and go before us. And God will do it. Mighty things God will do. God will open ways where, the, where there has not been a way. God makes a way, as he did for Israel, coming through the Red Sea. God parts the waters. God will part the waters, and you stand for, with courage and truth. God will help you. He's, I believe he promises that to you. You will not be alone. And we don't wage the war, as Africa was reminding us. We don't wage the war fearfully. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, but our God goes before us. And if God before us, who could be against us? I feel, Africa, if we can also just take some time to pray for people who have, um, who have been wounded because of stuff that's gone on in, in the brokenness of our world in which we live. The various isms, the racisms, the sexisms, uh, ageisms, uh, so many things that have, uh, have, have affected people and kept you back from living the free life that was your inheritance in the gospel. Because the, Jesus says, uh, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And those whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. Yes, yes. So we want to pray for your freedom today. Amen. We want to pray for those who've, who feel bound up because stuff has happened in your life and you've not been able to get, get free. The, the bitterness is there. The disappointment is there. Yes. The unforgiveness is there. The sense of being trapped is there. If that's you, why don't you just put your hands out in front of you. We're going to just pray, God, would you just come and minister. And if you're standing near somebody, the hands out in front of them, just, just turn around and pray for each other. Would you do that? Let's just support each other uh, and pray for the Holy Spirit to come and bring healing, restoration. Yeah. You might want to, in fact, you might want to even come forward if you like to do that. But we want to pray for people today to know freedom. If you know someone that you're really concerned about and you'd love the gospel to come into their life, why don't you come up front right now and just stand proxy for them even. You can have people standing up here praying for those that are, that are bound up. We don't need to know who they are, but would you pray for them? So if you'd like, you like to have people stand with you in prayer for someone who's not even here, that the gospel can go forth and impact their life. Come and stand up front here. Would you do that? <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Just come and stand there. That's it. You, you know someone that doesn't know Jesus, that does not know the freedom that the gospel brings, and they're still trapped in old ways. Just come and stand here in the front. We're going to pray for an, a release of the power of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is a power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It changes lives. That's what Africa's been saying this morning. We're not the same. Bought with a price. Church, let's join together. Africa, you're going to pray. Lead us in prayer. If, we're going to, if these people are standing up here praying proxy for people that don't know Christ, and we're going to trust this trust God this week there'll be there'll be evidence of openings that you go before them church reach, reach out hands and and and, and uh, point out these people and pray for for the gospel to come through this week as uh, the anointing of the spirit takes the step of faith just saying Lord, I'm going to step forward for my brother my sister my friend my boss my neighbor uh, even that person who's perceived as my enemy I stand forward today for them pray for us Africa bless them Oh, Father, we bless you. We thank you this morning. Pray for...
your daughters and sons this morning that father god as they stand in this place we stand in agreement around them we thank you for your mercy it is you who desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth we are simply midwives coming into agreement with you for what is in your heart already you've said the harvest is indeed plentiful but the laborers are few i pray for strategies that you would give your sons and daughters and how to be those harvesters in the field from this week onwards because you have prepared the harvest already the hearts of men you have stirred the hearts of men Father God, for salvation. We ask to break, Father God, the fallow ground that rather you remove the scales from those who are still bound and stubborn and holding back, oh God, whether through philosophy, through religion, oh God, through politicization and, and many things and through all the isms that we spoke about this morning. People who have militated against you, oh God, because of whatever belief systems that they have embraced. Oh God, for their sake, for their souls, for their own destinies, we pray that you warm their hearts towards you, O oh God. Yes. It is for their benefit, not yours, that they will come to you. We pray our families will love them so much, O oh God. We don't want them to go to a Christless <laughs> eternity. Therefore, we come in intercession. We come, O oh God, in prayer, in hope and trust in you, the living God, to save them, O oh God, to the animals, to bring your salvation into their lives. O oh, speedily, O oh God, that they will know the joy of walking with you. They will know the liberty that the Spirit brings oh God, that they will walk in the freedom of the Spirit and be freed from the bondage of the lions of the enemy, all the ideologies that they have embraced that hold them back from walking with you. Empower these ones, oh God. Fill these ones with your Spirit that they will walk in boldness and walk in courage and walk in trust in you. I pray even for words of knowledge. I pray even for prophetic insights as they speak to your people, Father God. You want to only just give them just words to speak from the earth, but you'll also give them prophetic insights to speak deep into the hearts of people that they would be able to speak into those areas of hurt, those areas of disappointment and bring healing, oh God. We thank you. We bless you, God. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Just have a one or two prophetic words. Darren had a word in his heart, and Sarah is going to close for us with a prophetic song. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Dave. So just the picture I got uh, during worship earlier on, I wasn't sure to bring it or not, but I think now is the appropriate time. Was I had a picture of someone who'd like hunkered down in the desert in like an underground bunker, and you went there out of a place of fear initially. And then the full picture that I saw after that was you just hedged in by bobbed wire after bobbed wire after bobbed wire. There's like bobbed wires that go around our homes. And that had just become miles of bobbed wire and you become incapacitated. And I felt the Lord says to you, no longer. And he's calling you out of that place. And as you step out in faith, so it was just a picture of this bobbed wire being totally obliterated that there wasn't a strand of it left. And so if anyone was feeling uh, trapped or can relate to that, God wants you to walk in freedom. And the whatever you think is insurmountable is not insurmountable for God. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. This is made to praise you. 
When I praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. Yeah, we can declare it together. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. When we praise you, chains fall off in the spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we bless you for this morning. Thank you for the encouragement of your presence, for, for, for worship, for prayer, for that word that comes to our hearts today. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts and our lives will be transformed as we go into this week ahead. Help us to live out the good news. Help us to live the gospel and not just to hear about it, but to, to live it. So we bless you today and thank you for your presence in our lives and what you're doing ongoingly. Help us to live that praise and let the chains fall off this whole week and the weeks to come. More and more freedom coming to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. All the Lord's people said. I want to say welcome to Gavin and Karen back. Eh? They've all arrived back from Tanzania and Kenya. Good to have you guys back in the house. Eh? Go and have some coffee, tea, some soup and brownies in the lounge as well. God bless you guys. <laughs> 